Chapter 9, Part 2 of Brown Book of the Hitler Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Warren Cotty, Gurney, Illinois. Brown Book of the Hitler Terror by Lord Marley. Chapter 9 The Concentration Camps. Part 2 The Hell of Sonnenburg The concentration camp at Sonnenburg must be dealt with separately. Letters and reports from prisoners, and even official statements, show beyond doubt that Sonnenburg is a real torture chamber. Working class leaders and intellectuals are subjected to the most disgraceful maltreatment. Throughout Germany, the camp is known as the Sonnenburg Hell. A letter from a worker who escaped from Sonnenburg gives a terrible description of the conditions there. Quote, the first batches of prisoners were met at Sonnenburg Station by stormtroop detachments and police. They were compelled to sing and were literally beaten to the camp. The inhabitants of Sonnenburg can testify to this. When they arrived at the camp, the prisoners were compelled to stand in the courtyard in streaming rain. Then the first ones were taken to the rooms. Each had to fetch straw for himself from another floor. Stormtroopers were standing on the stairs, and they beat the prisoners mercilessly with the rubber truncheons. Some were made to empty the closet pails of the Nazis, in the course of which they were again brutally mishandled. One stormtrooper held a prisoner's head between his legs, while another stormtrooper beat him. The comrades were compelled to count the blows in a loud voice. Some of the prisoners received as many as 185 blows, in addition, they were kicked and otherwise manhandled. Those treated worst were comrades Litten, Wiener, Bernstein, Kasper, Schneller, and the Jewish prisoners. Our old friend Musem suffered terribly. Now things are a little different, but instead we have extremely severe military drill, worse than when I was a recruit. Most of the time we have to be exercising outside marching and singing. The first three weeks were the worst. In the single cells we were attacked in the night and terribly beaten. The backs of many comrades were quite black. I don't know whether Lytton will get through with his life. The wives of several of the Sonnenburg prisoners raised such sharp protests that Mittelbach, of the public prosecutor's department, was sent to Sonnenburg to investigate. Litton begged him to have him shot, as he could no longer bear the brutal mishandling that was being inflicted on him. End quote. The Sonnenburger Anzeiger of April 7, 1933, reported, quote, The prisoners had to march from the station to the former convict prison, singing the national hymns. The rubber truncheons of the Berlin Auxiliary Police often helping them along. End quote. This account, by one of the Sonnenburg prisoners, 
is confirmed by letters from Frau Musom and Frau Kasper, who visited their husbands in Sonnenburg. Frau Musom writes, quote, They have beaten our husbands to the point of death. Eric, I saw him, and I did not recognize him, Teresa. I did not recognize him among the others. How they have been beaten! They have cut off his beard and knocked out his teeth. They made him carry his trunk. He fell down on the road. Then the beasts beat him terribly as he lay on the road and could not get up. When I reached Sonnenburg, there he was sitting, completely broken, and he was horrified that I had come. His first words were, How can you have come to this hell? You won't get out alive. They will kill you because you have seen us and how we have been mishandled. When I saw Casper, I had to keep control of myself not to faint. It was all the more ghastly as I had seen him three days before. He was standing, leaning against the wall, his face white and absolutely mutilated. There was blood running down from one eye, which was quite blue, to his mouth. His mouth was black and swollen as if someone had stamped on his face. He could hardly speak or move with the pains he had all over his body. End quote. The wives of the political prisoners, Bernstein and Geisler, succeeded in forcing the control authorities to grant them a permit to visit Sonnenburg. Frau Bernstein writes, quote, I felt as if it was a stranger in front of me. His eyes and the skin around them were blood-red and badly swollen. Across his face there were broad wheels from blows with rubber truncheons. I was not allowed to get close to him, but his whole body must be battered. During the whole time he stayed quite still, in a strange position. End quote. Frau Geisler writes, quote, When I saw my husband he was so changed, and his face was so terribly swollen, that I had to keep myself in hand not to scream with horror. End quote. A prisoner who succeeded in escaping from Sonnenburg and getting over the German frontier reports, quote, There are 414 political prisoners in Sonnenburg, among them Karl von Ossietzky, who was arrested on February 28th. One of his fellow prisoners, who was 13 days in Sonnenburg and now has been able to get across the frontier, saw Ossietzky in the hospital ward. Bent, double, sunken features, his face yellow, his hands moving nervously, shambling gait. That is his description of Ossietsky. The other Zonenborg prisoners, Dr. Wiener, whose whole body had been beaten black and blue, the communist Bernstein, whose kidneys have been injured by blows, and who can now only walk with a crutch, Eric Musom, who with Casper were forced to dig a grave for themselves, being told that they were to be shot the following morning. One night they broke the window of Casper's cell and pushed a revolver through, threatening to shoot him. Then they rushed into his cell and beat him with rubber truncheons. The daily program in Sonnenburg is 
5.15 a.m. Get up, empty the closets. There are no drains in Sonnenburg. Clean the cells, wash, exercise, etc. 8.30 a.m. Breakfast. 9 to 10, military drill. Singing of Hitler songs. 10.30 until noon, rest and dinner. 12.30 until 5.30 p.m., military drill and gymnastics. 6 p.m., supper. 6.30 until 7.30, exercise. 7.30 until 8.30, free time, prisoners all together. End quote. The mishandling in the Zonenborg camp was so inhuman that the new police commander of the camp, appointed on April 11th, felt compelled to make a report on it to his superior officer. He received orders from above to destroy the copy of this letter. Most of the pieces of this torn-up copy have come into our hands. Zonenborg, 18 May, 1933 Concerning certain occurrences since I took over the prison on 11 4 1933. Quote, on taking up my post on the 11 4 1933, I ascertained that no order was maintained in this prison, especially by the stormtroop men. Irregularities in the main concerned 1. Treatment of prisoners by the stormtroop men, 2. Attitude of stormtroopers to the administration officials, 3. Conduct of stormtroopers among themselves, 4. Conduct of stormtroopers in public. 5. The situation with regard to pay of the stormtroopers. In regard to point 1, a section of the prisoners, especially the prominent ones, were extremely severely mishandled by members of the stormtroops. To put a stop to this mishandling, the injured prisoners have been kept under control of, word missing, officers. I threatened the stormtroop men that if, missing, were repeated, I would have the stormtroopers kept under strict control day and night to put a stop to the, missing, on prisoners. In spite of this, I have established two instances of prisoners being struck. In view of the way the stormtroopers support each other, especially in connection with such incidents, the investigations I set on foot proved fruitless. I have therefore threatened the stormtroopers that the slightest incident of this sort, again, will lead to my dismissing the guards on duty at the time, that is, the whole of the stormtroop. In regard to point two, there is continuous conflict between the stormtroop men and the administration officials on the question of pay. In spite of reasonable advances against pay, the stormtroop men feel that they are being prejudiced, and they hold Police Inspector Pells to blame. Their attitude toward Police Inspector Pells was carried so far that only my personal intervention brought them to reason. When the stormtroopers were withdrawn on the 24th of April, 1933, I had to place an armed police guard at Pells's house to prevent any violence. In regard to point three, there were frequent conflicts among the stormtroop men, generally over trivialities. End quote. Here the report breaks off. Compulsory Labor 
The National Socialist Minister Frick stated that the prisoners in the concentration camps were to be trained to become useful citizens. In fact, the work that they are forced to do is absolutely useless. A neutral visitor to the Oranienborg camp describes what he saw as follows. Quote, the work, if we can call it work, is the most pointless labor, both for prisoners and warders, that it is possible to imagine. Three young workers were driving six of their fellow unemployed to pull grass out of the ground as quickly as possible. Behind the factory building, water is being splashed about. Some dozens of men are busy trying to clean the old building. It is even worse where the wood is being cleared. The trees have already been removed. The prisoners, under heavy guard, are trying to dig out the gigantic roots with their fingers. Stormtroop men drive on workers who are old enough to be their grandfathers. Old sow, red swine, and so forth. End quote. Compulsory drill. After the compulsory labor comes the compulsory drill. According to official statements, the time from 1.30 to 5.30 p.m. is allotted to drill. This is severe military drill and military exercises of an extremely exhausting character, which the prisoners are compelled to carry out for hours at a time. And so for days, weeks, and months, the same futile work, the same futile and exhausting drill, has to be carried out, on food which is entirely inadequate. Ordinary prisoners can at least count the days to their release, but the prisoners in concentration camps have no idea when they will be set free. The barbarous treatment the prisoners receive, the exhausting work and drill, the low diet, and the hopelessness of their position, has driven many to suicide. The Politiken correspondent who visited the Heuberg camp early in April 1933 reported that, quote, Captain Buck answered my question quite willingly. He admitted that attempts at suicide are not infrequent at this camp, end quote. But there are also repeated cases which are officially reported as shot while trying to escape. The falsity of such reports is obvious. The camps are most closely guarded with armed patrols, police dogs, and searchlights at night. The prisoner must realize the hopelessness of any attempt to escape. And for that reason, there are few real attempts to escape from the camps. The murders in the camp, however, are systematically reported as shot while trying to escape. Dachau, the murder camp. Fourteen cases of murder in the Dachau camp near Munich became known in the course of a few weeks. In the middle of April, the official Wolf Telegraph Bureau reported, quote, Munich, April 14, WTB. In the Dachau concentration camp near Munich, communists made an attempt to escape. The stormtroop police found themselves compelled to use their guns. They brought down four communists, of whom three were killed on the spot, 
and one was mortally wounded. End quote. According to the Daily Telegraph of April 27, 1933, the commandant of the Dachau camp confirmed this report to the English journalist Gede. The names were not stated in the official announcement. The victims were described as communists, but it soon became known that they were not communists, but middle-class Jews. A prisoner who was in the Dachau camp describes the murder as follows. Quote, a few days ago, we were going out as usual to work. All of a sudden, the Jewish prisoners, Goldman, a merchant, Benario, a lawyer from Nuremberg, and the merchants, Artur and Erwin Kahn, were ordered to fall out of the ranks. Without even a word, some stormtroop men shot at them. They had not made any attempt to escape. All were killed on the spot. All had bullet wounds in their foreheads. They were buried secretly, no one being allowed to be present. Then a meeting was called, and a stormtroop leader made a speech in which he told us that it was a good thing these four Jewish sows were dead. They had been hostile elements who had no right to live in Germany. They had received their due punishment. End quote. We have particulars of 13 similar murders at Dachau. Two of the most brutal cases were the murder of the communist members of the Diet, Dressel and Goetz. The former was tortured to death, and the latter was shot after weeks of brutal maltreatment. Tens of thousands in prison. The 35 to 40,000 prisoners in the concentration camps are not the only political prisoners in Germany. In addition, there are the prisoners awaiting trial and those who have been sentenced to imprisonment and penal servitude. Their number is growing every day. Every day the press announces new mass arrests. In the second half of June, the number of new arrests was higher than in any previous period. Sometimes a thousand arrests are made in a day. Thus, for example, in Seftenberg, a small town in the Niederlotzitzer goldfield, 267 Social Democrats have been arrested, in Bremen, over 80, and several hundreds in Braunschweig, Hamburg, Saxony, Berlin, and Stuttgart, all on one day only. The total number of prisoners awaiting trial or already serving sentences can only be guessed at, it is certainly not less than 12 to 15,000. The prisoners awaiting trial are herded together in overcrowded prisons, sometimes four or five in a cell intended for a single prisoner. Many of the prisoners have no bedding of any kind. Among those awaiting trial are many well-known officials of the Communist and Social Democratic parties, as well as members of the Democratic Party, the People's Party, the Center Party, and even the German Nationalist Party. Ernst Thälmann, leader of the German Communist Party, was arrested on March 3rd in Charlottenburg and put in prison. In all the government papers and the press which have been brought into conformity, it was reported that he had been arrested in connection with the Reichstag fire.
The Arrests It will be difficult for people in other countries to realize the arbitrary methods used by the police and stormtroops in making arrests. One day, an illegal leaflet is seen in a street. It is reported by a policeman or an adherent of the Nazis. Police motors immediately rush up. The whole district is cordoned off. All houses are searched from attic to cellar. Books and typewriters are seized, and often completely innocent citizens are carried off. Any obstruction is immediately met with violence and arrest. Every day the papers report such raids and mass arrests. Early in July, the Hitler government began to seize as hostages the relatives of workers who had escaped. The best-known case is the arrest of five relatives of Scheidemann, but this is only one case among many. The Sentences The public prosecutors have been busy since February 27th. Special courts have been instituted in practically every German town. Denunciations bring a continuous stream of prisoners, and the charges are as arbitrary as the sentences. Often prisoners are kept for weeks in prison and then set free without even being tried. But even after being set free, they are continuously menaced with further arrest and in many cases have to report daily to the police. The following are some examples of the nature of the charges and the heavy sentences passed. Quote, the Special Court of Moabit, Berlin, sentenced the unemployed workers Max Ziegler and Richard Schrotter to 15 months and 18 months imprisonment, respectively, because Ziegler, a member of the Communist Party, had distributed in East Berlin illegally produced copies of the Rotofana, which he had received from Schroter. The Darmstadt Special Court sentenced a female member of the Young Communist League to eight months and a male member to five months imprisonment for producing and distributing a leaflet. The prisoners are 16 years of age. End quote. There are innumerable sentences for spreading atrocity stories. Often, the relatives of arrested persons are told that they cannot expect the case to be heard for several weeks, owing to the number of cases awaiting trial. The relatives can seldom find a lawyer prepared to undertake the defense. The position of the prisoners is made worse by the fact that the Hitler government has prohibited the Red Aid Organization, which used to help the families of political prisoners. But it still carries on its work, with the help of similar organizations in other countries and the Committees for the Relief of the Victims of German Fascism, which have been set up on the initiative of the Workers' International Relief Organizations. End of Chapter 9, Part 2